Please turn with me now in your Bibles to the book of Psalms. We are continuing our study in Psalm 119. Today we will be in verses 9 through 16. And as you're turning there, I just want us to remember that this is more than the psalmist's teaching. Before he taught, he prayed all of this. This is his prayer to God in the midst of seeking to be more holy and seeking to walk more faithfully in God's law. So as we read our passage today, let us keep that in mind. So we will read beginning in verse 9 of Psalm 119. How can a young man keep his way pure? By living according to your word. I seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Praise be to you, O Lord. Teach me your decrees. With my lips, I recount all the laws that come from your mouth. I rejoice in following your statutes as one rejoices in great riches. I meditate on your precepts and consider your ways. I delight in your decrees. I will not neglect your word. Let us pray. Our God and Father above, as we come to these words, we realize that without you, they are merely ink on paper. And yet you have breathed these words out, promising that they are good for us, that they are good for your people. And so, Lord, we pray that you would empower these words by the Holy Spirit today to change our minds, to change our hearts so that we may be more and more like you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. In Deuteronomy chapter 10, beginning in verse 12, God says this to the Israelites. He says, And now, O Israel, what does the Lord your God ask of you but to fear the Lord your God and to walk in all of his ways? Yeah, 12 through 16. That's right. Sorry. And to observe the Lord's commands and decrees that I am giving you today for your own good. To the Lord your God belong the heavens, even the highest heavens, the earth and everything in it. Yet the Lord set his affection on your forefathers and loved them. And he chose you, their descendants, above all the nations, as it is today. Circumcise your hearts, therefore, and do not be stiff-necked any longer. As we read this passage and other passages like it, it's, it's a temptation for us as humans to focus on what God commands us to do. He commands us in that passage to follow his laws. He commands us in that passage to, to cut away the sinful parts of our heart, to, to, to mortify the sinful flesh that is within us and to walk more closely with him. And yet you'll notice in the middle of that passage, which is a command for the Israelites to follow God's law, it is a command for the Israelites to circumcise their hearts. In the middle of that passage, God reminds the Israelites before he calls them to that, that he has done something for them. And he didn't do anything for them because of, because of anything they brought to the table. He acted because he set his affections, he set his love upon the Israelites. And that is the truth that you and I must keep in the forefront of our minds as we study this psalm, as we study any of God's word. That God has revealed himself in creation 
He has called a people to himself and he has revealed the means by which he will save those people in his words. And that revelation of who God is, is an act of grace and an act of love that comes from God. There are eight words in Psalm 119 that the psalmist uses to describe God's word. And those words are used in other places in the Old Testament to describe the covenant that God made with Israel and through the Lord Jesus Christ with all of humanity, all of saved humanity. This is a grace because God did not have to do this. We were to continue reading there in Deuteronomy 10 and Verse 17, he says that he is the king of kings. He is the Lord of lords. There was absolutely nothing in Abraham. There was nothing in Israel that bound God to reveal himself to them or to call them to himself. But in love, in grace, in order to move forward his plan of redemption, God loved them enough to call them and to establish that covenant relationship with them. The picture in Deuteronomy and in Psalm 119, 9 through 16, is a picture of God moving toward his people in grace and God's people responding by living a holy life, putting to death the sins that so easily beset them. And so the focus of our study today, we will focus on God's gracious teaching and your holy response. First, God's gracious teaching. Now, as we mentioned before, Psalm 119 is what we call an acrostic poem. Each line of each of the 22 sections begins with a specific Hebrew letter. And if you look at your text, we have those letters uh, as the titles of the separate 22 sections of Psalm 119. But in the verses we are looking at today, in verses 9 through 16, the psalmist takes this poetic device one step further. Not only does each verse begin with the same letter, but almost all the verses begin with the same word, except for verse 12. What does verse 12 says? In the NIV, it says, praise be to you. In some of the other translations, it says, blessed be you, O Lord, Teach me your decrees. And the fact that it starts with a different word than the other seven verses points this out to us as important within the passage. Now, verse 12 calls for God to be praised in the NIV or blessed in the other translations. And this reminds us of the difference between the blessedness that is decreed upon those whose ways are blameless those who keep his statutes, those who do nothing wrong in verses one through three and the blessedness that we give to God. See, that blessedness that is proclaimed upon the holy in verses one through three is a happiness that God gives to us, a a fullness, a contentment that God gives to us in response to our pursuing holiness according to his law, a holiness that we pursue in the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, God has done a lot for us. What can we give him? God doesn't need anything from us. God doesn't need our response in order to be happy or in order to be whole. So the word that is translated blessed or praise be to you is a different word here that reminds us 
that we are called to worship God in response to his grace of teaching us his holy decrees. All we can offer to God is the worship that is already due to his name. By the power of the Spirit, he comes and applies the work of Christ so that we are enlivened to desire this worship, to desire this relationship with God that he sets out for us in his covenant. And so we give God worship. And the psalmist worships God. And in the midst of that worship, he calls out to God to teach him his decrees. The psalmist here is worshiping God because he has revealed himself in his word And he has given his law, his decree, his statutes, his precepts for his people in response to his word. This points us to the work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit works in conjunction with your studying and internalizing of God's word to help us to understand through explaining and applying God's word to our lives. This is called the Holy Spirit's work of illumination. The Holy Spirit sheds his light on the word in your life so that you can apply that word. And and Paul points this out to us in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. The man without the spirit, the Holy Spirit, does not accept the things that come from the spirit of God. For they are foolishness to him and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually discerned. We need the Holy Spirit. We need God to teach us his laws and his decrees so that we might walk more closely with him and live that holy life that brings God's blessingness, blessedness upon us. When you read God's word, how often do you stop to pray before you read? Many of us pray in the, in the book we've provided for you out there on praying through the scriptures will teach you to pray after you read. But you and I oftentimes forget to pray before we read. We need God's help to understand his word. We need the Holy Spirit to shine his light, his illuminating light upon his word so that we can understand it and be changed. And so we should go to God in prayer before we read his word. Now, the psalmist prays for God to teach him these decrees so that he will not wander, so that he will not sin. We see this in verses 10 and 11. I seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. We were told that God blesses those who seek him with all their heart in verse 2. And the psalmist says, I strive to do that in utter dependence on you. And he says that as he does that, He does not want to stray from God's commands. Some of your translations may say wander from God's commands. This reminds us that the psalmist, this teaches us that the psalmist wants to seek God so that he does not commit what is called inadvertent sins. Sometimes we don't know the law of God and we don't know we're breaking it. Sometimes we're just not paying attention to those to those temptations that come upon us, and we find ourselves hip deep in sin before we realize we've even been tempted. That's wandering, that's straying. It's an inadvertent sin. It's still a sin. It's still a violation of God's law. We still should repent of it. But the psalmist prays, teach me your decrees 
so that I can see the temptation coming, even when it comes in in a sneaky way. He goes on to say that I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. This is those blatant sins that we commit when we say things like, Lord, I I know what your word says, but I'm going to do it my way. Lord, I know what your word says, but I want to do this anyway. It's, It's the heavy handed sins and the psalmist says, I have hidden your work, word in my heart, which, which that part is dependent upon God as well, because we're told in Jeremiah 31, 33 through 34, that part of the new covenant is God writing his word on our heart. And we'll talk a little bit more about hiding that word in your heart a little bit later as we look at meditation. But it's a, it's a picture of somebody who collects something that is of a value and protects and stores that in a way that it can be seen and enjoy and learned from. The psalmist places a high value on the word of God. He wants to collect God's word in his heart so that he might not sin against God. Do you value God's word? God's word is the only place where we have the means of salvation the means of walking in a holy way before God. God's word is the only place that that is revealed for us. And that means that we should value God's law also. Those Ten Commandments that we have fought so vehemently over them being posted in public places over the last 20 years. Those Ten Commandments is the summary of how we should live before God. Do you value God's law enough to collect it, to hide it in your heart so that it can change you, so that it can keep you from both wandering from God's law and from those heavy handed sins? All of this points us to why the psalmist wants to do this, which we see in verse nine. He asked this question, how can a young man keep his way pure? This is a very personal question of the psalmist. He has looked at the first eight verses and he has come to the conclusion that the blessed life is marked by a longing for, a love for, a desire for learning and living the laws of God. And he comes to verse nine and he says, how can I do that? How can I, as a young man, live a pure life that God considers to be blessed. And the answer he gives us in the second half there, he says, by living according to your word. Now, we must be careful here. Those of us who may not consider themselves young anymore, you don't shut down at this point because he's writing to young people. Young people in this room, it is important for you to begin these habits now. It is important for you to begin this love, this desire for God's word now. Because you are at a place where your your mind is a sponge and you are coming as you approach adulthood, you are coming to a point where you have to choose to either live according to God's word or live according to your own way. And it is better to set up those habits now than it will be later. But as I said, for those of us 
who do not consider ourselves young, there is still value in developing the habits that the psalmist is going to talk about here in a few minutes and throughout the rest of the psalm so that we can keep our way pure before God as well. Yes, we're set a little bit more in our ways. Yes, some of these practices will be more difficult to develop, but we are still called to live in this way so that we may walk before God. What are some ways that you and I can begin to live according to God's word and, and, and keep our way pure? Most importantly, we need to follow the psalmist example and rely wholeheartedly upon God and the Holy Spirit to teach us God's word and to grow within us that deep longing in our hearts for God's word. We will work, we will study, but the heart change necessary to turn God's word from foolishness to treasure can only come from the Holy Spirit. For some of you, that change may be the initial heart regeneration that moves us from objects of wrath, applies the work of our Lord and Savior to us, and makes us children of the loving and saving God. For others of us in this room, we may need to pray for the ongoing work of the power of the cross through the Holy Spirit to empower our pursuit of holiness. Wherever we are in our walk with God, we need to show our dependence upon Him in prayer and praise as we seek to live according to His ways so that we may be protected from sin. So God has reached out to us in grace through teaching us His decrees. Whenever God reaches out to His people in grace, He demands a response. This is an important pattern that we need to see in Scripture. God graciously acts on behalf of His people, then He calls them to live holy lives based upon His action, based upon His grace. Herman Ritterboss, in writing on the letters of Paul, calls this the indicative and the imperative. I know. We had an English, English grammar lesson last week. We're going to have another one this week. The indicative is what Paul has done, or what God has done, excuse me. In most of Paul's letters, Paul opens up by explaining what has been done for God's people. That's the indicative. That is what is. The imperative is the commands that comes later in light of those truths of the gospel that Paul has professed. If you read through Ephesians, if you read through Galatians, if you read through most of Paul's letters to the churches, he says, God has saved you. Go act like saved people. One commentator on the book of Romans says that the basic message of Romans is you have been justified by the work of Jesus. Now go live like it. Go be holy. It's the indicative and the imperative. We have the indicative that God teaches, God hears, God answers prayer. And the imperative comes in verses 13 through 16. And in those verses, we see four ways in which the psalmist responds to God, grac God graciously teaching him his law. Now, as a quick note here, the psalmist is not bragging. The psalmist throughout this is humble. We will see at least 11 times where the psalmist admits that he fails. But the psalmist is saying, these are practices that I have developed. I can be an example for you. So the first way the psalmist will respond is by speaking the law of God. Verse 13, with my lips, I recount all the laws that come from your mouth. There's a pattern here. 
God has spoken His Word. You and I have heard it. We are called to speak it to other people or even to ourselves. We'll, we'll look at the speaking to ourselves as we get to meditation here in a few moments. But all of us are called to speak the Word of God in response to His grace to ourselves and to other people. Now that may come through a calling to a teaching or preaching ministry. That may come through parents sitting down with their family, grandparents sitting down with their grandchildren and teaching the law of God within the family through a system of family devotions. Husbands, that may be you fulfilling your role to love your wife by leading her in holiness, not nagging her because she doesn't do what you want to do, but leading her in the law of God and in holiness. Or it may come with you sitting down with somebody that you have developed a relationship and explaining to them the glories of the gospel of Jesus Christ, whether that's a one-time thing or over a period of time, period of months as, as you seek to answer their question. But whatever it is, whatever this form of recounting takes, the point is that God does not give you his teaching so that you keep it to yourself. The joy and delight in God's word, which you'll see in the next verse and in verse 16, demand that God's words flow out of it, of us as he teaches us and forms us with it. The second response to God's word is that we will rejoice in following God's statutes. He says in verse 14, I rejoice in following your statutes as one who rejoices in great riches. In the book of Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 8, beginning in verse 10, we hear wisdom say this to the young man. She says, choose my instruction instead of silver, knowledge rather than choice gold, for wisdom is more precious than rubies, and nothing you desire can compare with her. Do you find more joy in God shaping you through his law than you do in riches? in the things of this earth. Think about the law. Think about the Ten Commandments. The first commandment is, thou shalt have no other gods before me. To put that positively, you shall find your ultimate hope and your ultimate worship in God and God alone. Do we rejoice as the Holy Spirit shines His light through His Word and into our heart? Do we rejoice when God shows us that the gods of this world fail and he never will, that he is worthy of our worship, that he is worthy of our trust, do we rejoice in learning that? Do we rejoice as we see God's law at work leading us to be more and more like Jesus, leading us in the path of holiness? I hope that every now and then when it, when it comes to your walk of holiness, that you you look back on your life because pursuing holiness is hard. As we work to put sin to death in our life, we can get really down on ourselves. We can carry unnecessary shame upon ourselves. But we should take stock of our lives every now and then. And, and we should say to God, man, I'm not where I want to be. I'm working hard. But I'm not where I want to be, but thanks be to God, joy and praise and honor be to God that I am not where I once was. 
Do we rejoice that God uses the law to make us more holy? The third response of the psalmist is to meditate on God's word. We we actually see a pattern here. Two of these responses involve words, and two of these responses involve our heart attitudes. The third response of the psalmist is to meditate on God's word. I watched a short video earlier this week on how to get more out of your time that you spend asleep. And one of the practices that the person in the video mentioned was the idea of meditation. Now, what he meant by meditation is taking five or ten minutes before you go to sleep, sitting in a room with some calming, relaxing music behind you, the lights dimmed so that you're comfortable, and you just try to empty your mind of all the distractions, all the things that cause you anxiety and difficulty in this world, in this life. That's not what the psalmist is talking about here. This word meditation is a word that means to muse or to ponder over. To meditate is to do the work of mental consideration so that you can express what you learn through meditation in a holy action. Last week, I mentioned Philip Henry's uh, instructions to get the most out of Psalm 119 by taking a verse every day and meditating on that verse, praying through that verse. If you're on Facebook, Michelle has done a great job this week of posting a verse every day from Psalm 119 so that you can have it before you, so that you can meditate on it. It's the idea of saying, God, I, I, God, I want to meditate on your law every day and consider your ways. Teach me how to do that. By your spirit, make it a priority in my life so that I have your word constantly in mind so that I can grow. We struggle with memorization because we don't meditate on God's word. Most of the time when I try to memorize God's word, I sit there after I've done my Bible study, my prayer. I've got I've got the Bible verse written on the three by five card and I close my eyes and I say the reference and then I I peek at it because I haven't quite remembered what the verse says. And then I go through it three or four times until I think I've got it. I put that index card in the little drawer in the end table next to my recliner. I close the drawer and I never think about it again for the rest of the day until we go through that process again tomorrow. What if you and I took meditation seriously? And just throughout the day, not stick this card back in the drawer, but keep it in a pocket that we could pull out and go, oh yeah, that's the verse for the day. Lord, help me with this. Make this real for me. Help me follow this. Help me repent. Help me do what you want me to do in this so that I might be more holy. It's constantly keeping that word in front of us. It's constantly keeping it in our minds so that we think about it day by day. You'll find after a period of a year, that all of a sudden these things just start to flow out. God will bring them to mind when when you most need them. So we see that we are called to recount or to teach. The psalmist says that he rejoices in in the statutes. He meditates on his precepts and then he delights in God's decrees. One commentator in describing what delight means says that what the psalmist is saying is that I will skip about and jump for joy because of God's word. 
Another commentator said that when we think about delight, we should think about a baby. You ever seen a young child, an infant, one or two years old, and they've spotted something new? It's probably not something that you and I think much of. It's probably just something shiny. And what happens with that baby when it sees that shiny thing? Well, the first thing that happens is their eyes just go big. They get huge. And then the rest of their face just reflects the awe and the wonder that they see over this shiny object in the distance. Infants, babies haven't developed the fine motor skills that you and I have to just kind of reach out and grab something. But they see it and they want it and they're going to reach for it and their hand goes that way. But they're still, they want it. And so they're like with the hand, they're like, okay, come on, come on. I just can't get you to work. But they never give up. They're always trying to reach for that shiny new thing. That's delight, brothers and sisters. You and I will grasp like infants at God's word for all of eternity. Yet we are called to continually have that awe, that wonder, that desire, that shaky grasping for understanding God's law because we delight in it. That's the picture that the psalmist has. Do you pray that God would develop that type of delight for his word on a regular basis? Do you go about the work to develop that type of delight in your life for the law of God? The psalmist responds to God's gracious teaching with his own teaching, with joy, with meditation, and with delight. God graciously reaches out with his word and we respond with the pursuit of holiness. What habits have you developed in order to learn and to live according to God's word? Our daily time of prayer and Bible reading are important, but they may not be enough. Do you take time to share with others what God has taught you in his word? I think as you see that light dawn in other people's eyes of the goodness of God through his gospel ministry, the peace that they suddenly find with God as the Holy Spirit comes in and regenerates their hearts, whether it's your children or whether it's an acquaintance or a coworker or a dear friend. Seeing that light dawn in somebody else's eyes as you seek to walk them through the law and the gospel of God will develop some of these things. Do you find joy in following God's commands and becoming more like him? Do you meditate throughout the day on one verse or a passage that you desire to apply to your life? And do you meditate on God's word or do you delight in God's word? Excuse me. Christopher Ashe in speaking about this psalm and by implication, the rest of the whole world, word of God says this psalm is about formation more than it is information. This psalm is about habits that change your heart. Spend time praying this week and throughout the rest of our study that God would change your heart attitude toward him and toward his word. And then respond to God's gracious revelation, gracious revelation by pursuing these habits of holiness. Let us pray. Our God and Father above, we do thank you.
pour your word. And we take it for granted so often. Forgive us for that. And yet, as, as Peter said to Jesus, only you have the words of life. And in your Bible are those words of life. Lord, help us to realize the grace that is there. Help us to teach these to others. Help us to rejoice. Help us to meditate and help us to delight in your word. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As we go this week, as we consider work, as we consider family, as we consider our recreation and our hobbies, please take this blessing upon you. Go in peace and may God grant you what you have asked of him. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Amen.